For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Grace, effort, and responsibility are each said to be contributors to the process of becoming like Jesus after salvation. In the mind of some, grace is a gift that is sovereignly distributed apart from any merit or contribution by man. Both the initiation into the Christian life, when we are born again, and the events that shape our character are gifts without effort, in the mind of some. Others see redemption as a work of God that is initiated by God. But once we have been redeemed from sin... It is up to our effort to do the things that please God. But what if grace and effort are not contrary ideas? What if a gift originates in the mind and the heart of God that he desires to bestow... Yet we also are given responsibility to respond to that gift by receiving and appropriating the gift. If I told you there is a donut waiting for each of you at Casey's, that would not be true, but if I were to tell you that, that donut does not do you any good until you receive it. And God offers us great gifts, but we have the responsibility to receive the gift that he offers. I truly appreciate authors who explain the rhythms that we choose to provide opportunities for the gracious, transforming work of God to take place. Two books that I would suggest... And I forgot to put the uh, photo into the slides. Our number one 
Jerry Bridges' book, The Discipline of Grace, and secondly, Ruth Haley Barton's book, Sacred Rhythms. Both of those books say that we need to do the things that provide opportunity for the gracious gift of God to do its work. See, our effort is not opposed to grace. We are responsible to do the things that we can so that His grace can do the things that we cannot do ourselves. Now, the thrust of the sermon this morning is not primarily about the gifts that God gives to form us, as in those books I just mentioned. But rather, this morning we're talking about the gifts that God gives us to be lovingly exercised for the benefit of others. Let's begin with a few general observations about spiritual gifts. The first is, there is no master list anywhere in the scriptures of spiritual gifts. Some people look to Ephesians chapter 4 and they see five gifts. Actually, in my understanding, they aren't five gifts, they are four roles. Because pastor and teacher are two activities of one role. Some look at Romans chapter 12 that was just read for us. Or they look to a liturgical tradition. If you have Roman Catholicism in your background, you may have been told that there are seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. But both the Romans 7 or the Romans 12 list of seven, and the Roman Catholic list of seven, are not the same seven. Some people will combine Romans, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, Ephesians chapter 4, and 1 Peter, and then they come up with a list of 22 different gifts that God gives to us to build up others within the church. And if 22 is not enough, some would look to the Old Testament and they would add gifts like musicianship or artisanship as the craftsmen were gifted to work on the tabernacle and later the temple. And yet if 24 is not enough, some add celibacy either as a short-term discipline or a long-term gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. So just as there is no one master list of the gifts, I can't necessarily help you find, Pastor, what is my gift or what are my gifts? But I do know that God divinely and supernaturally empowers us to be a blessing to others so that they can be built up in the faith. Just as there is no one place that lists all the gifts, so there's no definitive category of gifts. One popular way to categorize these 25 different gifts is between sign gifts, those that demonstrate the power of God, serving gifts, that is those that help others, and speaking gifts, those that inform others. 
But people who are smarter than I disagree if some of those 25 are still in operation or if all of those 25 are still in operation in every local church today. There is no master list, but you have at least one spiritual gift. If the Spirit of God resides within you, you have a gift or some gifts. Because Romans chapter 12, verse 6, that was read for us a few moments ago, says, Having, and so you have, gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Your gift may differ from another person, but you have gifts. You may get cotton mouth if asked to speak in front of the church body. But you're the first one to get excited about giving to Operation Christmas Child. You may gag when changing a baby's diaper. I do. But you love to sit on the porch and encourage a senior saint or praying with a young person in crisis. Because there are gifts of encouragement and of exhortation and of faith that don't require you to speak publicly in front of people. Your gift may, probably will, differ from others, but you do have a gift or gifts. But I also see in the pages of Scripture that faithfulness in using our abilities can generate additional abilities within the body of Christ. There was, uh, last Sunday morning, I had a um, brief conversation with uh, one of you, and I said, the easiest way to get something done is assign it to somebody who's already too busy. Because if we are faithful with the use of our gifts, God somehow makes us able to do even more. I, I say this faithfulness generates additional gifts because in Matthew chapter 25, we have the parable of the talents. And the parable is told in Luke chapter 19 is the parable of the minas. Now, a talent and a mina are simply different denominations of money. A talent of money was equal to the average laborer's 20 years worth of wages. And so to be given 10 uh, talents is to be given 200 years worth of wages. On the other hand, a mina was about three months worth of wages. And so the fact that Matthew talks about talents and Luke talks about mina, I believe Jesus told the same basic principle in two different situations. And he says, the one who is faithful with much will be given more. The one who is faithful with the medium amount was found faithful. But the one who neglected his one talent or his one mina was called wicked and unfaithful, and his talent was taken away and given to the one who already had ten. If you are faithful to allow the Spirit of God to work through you, he will see your obedience and enable you with new ways to minister to others as well. 
Now, I think it's in, in, in important for us, whenever we talk about spiritual gifts, to say that spiritual gifts do not equal church roles. For example, evangelist is one of the gifts that is mentioned in the New Testament. There is a gift of a special ability to be able to evangelize. But all of us are commanded in 2 Timothy chapter 4 to do the work of an evangelist. And so just because a church may hire a church evangelist, and you may or may not hold that role, doesn't mean that we are all called to do that work, and that some of us are especially gifted in that work. It's also important for us to know that the presence of gifts within an individual do not entitle you to use those gifts in the gathered church meeting. There are men who were gifted as teachers, and Titus 1.11 says, don't allow them to speak. And there are women who had gifts, and 1 Corinthians 14.34 and 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 said, even though they have those gifts, they are not to be exercised in this way. So both men and women are saying just because you have the gift does not give you an obligation or a right to exercise that gift in the gathered church. When our nominating committee requests to put your name in nomination for some role, it's not because we hope you will all of a sudden get a new ability to do that thing, to lead that team. It's because we want to put you in a role where your abilities have already been displayed. And if you can display abilities or display a particular passion without having the role as the chairman of that committee, then we see you exercising those gifts, and those are the people that we put into leadership. Having a spiritual gift does not mean that you are entitled to that role within the established church. And also, I need to specify that talents are not the same as spiritual gifts. There are people in this room this morning who can run fast and can draw a straight line without dipping down. I can do neither. I neither run fast, I can't even draw a straight line without a straight edge. But the ability to run fast or to lift heavy things can be increased through training. The ability to sing or to play an instrument can be made better through practice. But there is no mention in the Bible of either putting a basketball through a net or playing bagpipes as a spiritual gift. You may have talents and abilities that are not spiritual gifts. Because spiritual gifts are given to build up the body. And you being able to put a ball through a net doesn't necessarily make me more like Christ. See, there are two words in the New Testament that refer to spiritual gifts. 
And these words are most often used by Paul. Very rarely do any of the other New Testament authors speak of spiritual or gifts. The word gifts occurs 17 times in our New Testament. And it's the word charisma, which is the noun form of the verb charizmai. Aren't you enriched by that? You're going to use charizmai somehow this week. See, charizmai is the verb form that says to give freely. And there are people who will gather around your table and you will give freely of your hospitality. You will charizmai this week. And charisma is simply the noun form of that giving action. And, it's, and, and charisma is connected very closely to both the word Cairo, which is to be joyful. Because we're joyful when we give to others. And when we give to others, it provides joy. And so joy is connected with a gift. And it's also connected to the, work, to the word charis, or the word grace. Because it is a free giving, and it's an act It's a noun, and it is an adjective that describes what a gift truly is. You may have talents, but they're not necessarily spiritual gifts. However, God may use your talents and enrich those with the ability to help other people become more like Jesus, and then that talent becomes a spiritual gift. See, not only do we read about gifts, but it is a spiritual gift. The word spiritual, pneumatikos, appears 26 times in our New Testament. And and pneumatikos is the adjective form of pneuma. Now, this is getting a little bit closer to what we're familiar with. We get the word pneumatic or pneumonia that both have to deal with air or with breath. And so when this deals with the spiritual, it's talking about the spirit, not the physical that can be touched, but the spirit of God. In the New Testament, we read that this is a gift that is related somehow to the spirit. And the spirit is the person that we talked about last week. And this person gives gifts and abilities By calling it a spiritual gift, you may have heard people who say, I'm spiritual, I'm just not religious. And by that, they mean that I'm ethereal, or I'm mysterious, or I'm spooky. But when the Bible refers to a spiritual gift, it's not that mystery. It's simply, it's related to the spirit, the non-physical person of God. Now let's look a little bit closer at the way that God gifts and specifically at how the Spirit leverages those gifts to bring greater health to the church and greater holiness to the body of Christ. Now, I'm about to hit scripture verses about this fast. And if you do get the writer's cramps, I have provided 10 copies of today's notes that are on the front pew of the church. So if you get lost in the middle, don't get flustered. There is a printout of all of my notes that you can take with you when we are done. Let's look at the way God gives gifts. 
or the nature of spiritual gifts. In both the Old and the New Testament, God graciously pours out gifts on His people. And these gifts are to be welcomed and used not for our own comfort, but God gives you gifts and abilities that are to be used for the good of all, the good of the body. Examples of God giving of special gifts. Um, God is a giving God because of who He is. One of the most famous scriptures in all the world says that God loves, so He gives. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. There are other places that we read that God graciously provided rain in Joel chapter 2. God graciously provided bread and meat to the Israelites in Exodus 16, to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17 verse 6. So God loves and gives. He gives rain, he gives bread and meat, he gives land to the tribes in Ezekiel chapter 47. God loves, so God gives. And spiritual gifts are connected to the giving nature of our loving God. We have examples in the New Testament of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, offering supernatural gifts. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he gives rest. Come unto me, all who are weary, And heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In John chapter 4, verse 14, he says, If any man thirsts, let him come to me, and I will give him living water. In John chapter 6, verse 51, Jesus says, I am the living bread come down from heaven. And then in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus was said to give authority. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Over and over again, because God is a loving God, He is a giving God. The God of the Old Testament, the triune God, was a giving God. The God of the Gospels, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is a giving God. And this week we intentionally give thanks because God is a giving God. But this did not end with the Gospels. Because the very reality of spiritual gifts is linked with an act of grace. Matthew chapter 10 verse 8 tells us that freely we have received, so freely we should give. We don't charge for our services. We extend grace when we meet the needs of others. Romans chapter 12 verse 6 says that the abilities that we have are connected to God's grace in our life. God gives us the ability to serve others, to love others, to encourage others, to increase faith in others. In so many different ways, God's work in us gives us the ability to meet the needs of others. So it is a gracious gift that comes from God. We have diverse gifts, but there is one giver of all of the gifts. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, talks about how uh, there is... This afternoon, our sister Karen, and she hates that I call her out for this, is going to begin the act of decorating for the Advent season. You don't want me decorating the church. But God has given her that gift of artisanship and craftsmanship and that eye for color and textures that will bless all of us in the weeks ahead. And God gave the ability of singers today to lead all of us Some of you would have walked out the door if I said, here's your microphone. But we were encouraged by those nearly 60 years between the youngest and the oldest, abled and and disabled, not unable, disabled, differently abled. And all of these different gifts that come from the one good God. We should never be jealous of another person's gifts. Because both hers and my abilities come from the same wise God. And he gives diverse gifts to make me dependent upon you to exercise your gifts. We have a hospitality committee that is phenomenal at ministering to families in their time of grief. And in fostering fellowship between us. And you don't want me planning the fellowship dinner because I get a little bit precise and persnickety with my food. But God has given us people who exercise that gift of hospitality graciously, and I need them to make us what God wants us to be. See, we have diverse gifts, but it comes from one wise giver. I need you to exercise your gifts And you need me to exercise my gifts because you make me more godly and I allow you to mature by exercising my gifts of teaching, administration, and exhortation. Building on this unity, it's good for all of us, within diversity theme, we also see that the purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up the church. That's why I said there is not a spiritual gift of basketball. There is not a spiritual gift of playing the bagpipes. Because spiritual gifts are either talents or supernatural abilities that God gives to us that builds up the body of Christ. That's why I said that there's no spiritual gift of throwing a ball. The community generally does not see the glory of God when a team wins. They may see the beauty of Christ in good sportsmanship. And when we meet these individual athletes who are both godly and athletic, it's encouraging. But very rarely have I walked out of a stadium saying, Praise the Lord, you are so beautiful. Because that's not a spiritual gift. That's not what sports is for. Rarely does a beautiful ensemble make another person more loving. We appreciate a drama, we appreciate a concert, but very rarely do we walk out of that concert saying, boy, I've got to love somebody special in a new way. But spiritual gifts do that work. We're also encouraged to aspire greater spiritual gifts. What makes one gift greater than another? Does it get more attention? 
Is it more up front? Is it more in your face? Why does Paul say, both in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, that there are greater gifts or higher gifts? It's because there are certain gifts that produce a higher result, not a greater celebrity. It's not about saying, boy, look at that person that did X with so much excellence. That person did X in such a way that I would want nobody other than person X to ever do that for my benefit. It's not about celebrity. It's about what is our need. And if I believe, and I do, that God gives greater gifts to those who are faithful, I have every uh, confidence that God will raise up the gifts that we need to be the people that we are called to be. And 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1-3, through clearly says that the gifts we should desire are the gifts that benefit others. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. And no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. See, the greater gift is not the gift that you want because it will make you a celebrity. The greater gift is the one that best builds up the church, the body of Christ. And it's so important that we exercise our gift, building up other people in loving ways. There are some people who have the ability to unashamedly speak the truth of God into a situation. But if that is not done lovingly, it doesn't build up the other person, it clubs the other person. There is so much love that must be demonstrated in the use of our spiritual gifts that the love chapter... 1 Corinthians 13, falls right in the middle of what Paul is teaching in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. 12 talks about spiritual gifts. 14 talks about spiritual gifts. And right in the middle of that, Paul takes some time to say, hey guys, we got to be loving in the way that we do this. We need to have love towards the person who receives our gift. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, Earnestly desire the high gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. The more excellent way of exercising our gifts is to do it lovingly. But we also need to have love towards those who receive our gifts. And if you are the recipient of a blessing, we are challenged to love the person that God is using to minister to us. I see it in 1, Corinthians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We are commanded, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophecies. Which simply tells me that I need to respect the person who is exercising his or her spiritual gifts as a messenger of grace from God to me. 
And I would say, since you are seated and I am speaking, the same thing is true. You don't have to necessarily like Dave, but you need to respect the message that God is sending through me to build us up. I'd like to conclude with what's on the bottom of second page, at the very bottom there. And that is, the church is most healthy when everyone lovingly exercises his or her gifts. And there are four key words in this application of my talk on gifts. The first key word is healthy. Our church becomes healthy when all of us are doing what God prompts us to do. A church meeting where you just come and listen to a few people do a performance is not a healthy church. We become healthy when we all participate together. We're healthy when everyone Everyone has, some, everyone has something to contribute. From an infant who communicates in his or her squeals that remind us the church has a future. To the homebound saint who prays for encouragement and endurance of those on the front lines. Everyone has a role to play. The church is healthy when everyone lovingly Because whether you are in front of people or totally anonymous, our spiritual gifts express that God and others are important. We exercise our gifts because we think other people are important. And finally, I mentioned that everyone is to exercise his or her gifts, plural. The plurality matters because we each need those who are differently Abled. You may not, you may or may not agree, but whenever I do a spiritual gifts inventory, I am usually pretty low in faith. I, I'm really slow to take risk. But I need to surround myself with godly people that say God is calling us to boldly go in this direction. And when I partner with somebody who is strong in faith, then I am able to contribute my gifts of administration that says, all right, how do we go in that direction? We each need to exercise our gifts because we are dependent upon one another. Our final song this morning is 